Thank you, choir. Well, you know, I got a quick question before we get started. How many of you enjoy getting gifts? Just curious. Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you enjoy getting gifts better than you enjoy giving gifts? Let me see your hands. All right. Oh, yeah. Some of you put your hands up and then you put them down really fast again because you realize what I asked. Yeah, you know, we like getting gifts, don't we? We enjoy getting gifts. We, we like giving gifts too, but you know where the rubber hits the road? I think a lot of us would say we really, really like getting gifts. And uh, it's just something special about that. It's something, something special about knowing somebody else thought about you, somebody else decided to do something that you didn't necessarily ask for or deserve, and they just chose as an act of their will out of the kindness of their heart just to give to you. There's something good about that. I, I, I'm wearing a little bracelet, actually, that my son Drew made. Uh, he was over at the Summer's house uh, a week or so ago, and uh, they, uh, their daughter, Kaylin, taught him how to make bracelets. And uh, he came home, and he brought me this. And he said, Dad, I made you something. Now, he was kind of played it down a little bit. But he said, I made you something. And uh, man, it, just, it just touched me, you know, that he thought about me, that while he was over there playing, he was thinking about me. And he chose to give me a bracelet. There may be more to that story than I realize. Who knows? But uh, I'll find out later, I guess. But he thought about me, and he gave me this. You know, and it makes me proud that he was thinking of me. We like getting gifts. So, uh, you know... <laughs> I guess now's a good time to say that uh, you, you may have a gift here this morning. A new car! No, not really. Uh, underneath your, underneath the, uh, the chair of the person there in front of you, underneath the, the chair, just there, there are a couple of seats here that, uh, that have a little envelope underneath there. Now, if the tape didn't hold, then it's sitting on the rack now. So just kind of check underneath the, the, the bottom of the chair there in front of you and uh, kind of look around, all right? And uh, if, you, if you have one, just hold it up. I'm, I'm just curious. I don't remember exactly where they were placed, all right? Anybody see them? Anybody got them? Anybody? All right, there's one back there in the back. Anybody else? I think there are two. <laughs> there's an unclaimed one. You got Okay, there's two. That's good. I see them both. All right, so the rest of you that got nothing, right, your heart was beating because you're thinking, I'm about to get something that I didn't even ask for, right? And uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what's in there. There's only one stipulation that you have to, number one, enjoy that particular gift that's in the envelope, but you also have to you have to share that with somebody else as well, okay? So I won't say much more, except that when the hot sign is on that says hot donuts, it's going to be really good, all right? So, so that, that's, that's all, I, all I'll say about that. But the rest of you are really excited, right? You're thinking, okay, I might have a little something here. I might be getting something because we like to get gifts. Now, what if I told you that, uh, what if I told you that God gave you a gift? Not, not just your health and not, you know, not money in the bank and a good job and great family and great friends. Those are all gifts, yes. Those are all blessings that God gives us. But what if I told you that specifically the moment that you gave your life to Christ, the moment that you recognized that you needed forgiveness and you prayed for God to take all of your sin and to forgive it and to wipe the slate clean and for Jesus to come in, take over your life, the moment you prayed that, what if I told you that the Bible actually helps us to understand that at that very moment, God not only saved you, he not only forgave you, you, but he also gave you a gift, a very specific gift. And he gave you that gift for a reason. He gave you that gift as an act of his grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't ask for it. In fact, for some of you, you may have no idea that you even have it necessarily. But what if the Bible told us that? And what if also wrapped up inherent in all of that, there's the possibility that you may never choose to use it? Well, I want us to look this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been moving through this book uh, little by little. We've had a couple of other little side series we've done, one starting at Easter that we just finished last week. But this morning we get to chapter 12 as we continue through, coming really kind of towards, towards the close of this book, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians. And I want to share a message this morning simply entitled God's Spiritual Gifts. 
For some of you, you've heard about this topic before. You've studied it. You've bought books. You've listened to sermon series. Uh, you've read about it. You, you've, done, you know, you, you've done all the tests. You've done everything. And you really know a lot about spiritual gifts. For others of you, th- this is brand new. You've never heard of this. I mean, you're thinking, Brooks, I just started coming to church. I just recently even gave my life to Christ. I've just re- recently started reading my Bible. I've never heard of this thing called spiritual gifts. Well, today, what I want us to do, regardless of what your understanding is today, I think we'll all glean something from this, what Paul says in these 14 verses of 1 Corinthians 12. But the desire is not just to get more knowledge, so please hear me on this. I don't want you just to go away saying, hey, I learned a few things today. No, no, I want to put some handles to what we learn, okay? So that we not just learn more information about spiritual gifts, but that we also understand the implications of those gifts that God gives us and what we're supposed to do about it. Kind of the so what question. At the end of every message, you ought to ask so what. And hopefully I communicated in a way to where you know so what. It's not just gaining knowledge, it's what do I do about this now. And so that's what I want us to do as we move through this passage of Scripture. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to move through 14 verses. And we're going to begin to take a look at what Paul says about this topic of spiritual gifts. So let's go ahead and jump in. Verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the overhead there in front of you. You can read along with me as we move through this passage of Scripture. Verse 1, Paul writes, and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now let me just pause there for a moment before we move on, because there's a lot wrapped into that one verse. Number one, Paul is writing to a church, all right? So he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have placed their faith in Christ. One thing we know about spiritual gifts from Scripture is that spiritual gifts are only given to a person who has given their life to Christ, okay? So if you're an unbeliever, meaning you're examining Jesus, you're looking at the Bible, you're trying to figure out a little bit of what all's going, you know, what God's doing in your life, but you've never placed your faith in Christ, then I hope you'll learn a lot today, but God has not given you a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are only given to those who have placed their faith in Christ, according to Scripture. Spiritual gifts are also grace gifts. We don't ask for them. We don't pray, oh God, would you please give me this gift? And then God says, okay, you prayed enough, now I'll give it to you. They are grace gifts. They're given by God's grace to the person who gives their life to Christ. Now here's what we could understand was going on in the city of Corinth. More than likely, Paul mentions this topic in chapter 12 because there were some really big issues going on in the church in the city of Corinth. Things were not good. There was a misunderstanding of what spiritual gifts were all about. There was misuse of spiritual gifts. And in fact, when we get to chapter 14, what you'll see there is that there was actually even the counterfeiting of spiritual gifts. In other words, people trying to carry out a gift in their own strength and power as opposed to letting God exercise that gift through them. And so there are all kinds of issues in in the church in Corinth. Paul is now addressing it. So he says, now, in other words, shifting gears, now we're going to deal with spiritual gifts, he says. And of the spiritual gifts, I don't want you ultimately to be be unaware. So, So what is a spiritual gift before we go further? Here's the best explanation that I can give you. A spiritual gift is when you place your faith in Christ and God gives you new lenses through which you see life, people, and circumstances. It is a specific gift, and we're going to look at some examples in a moment, a specific gift, and it's not woo, you know, it's not that kind of mystical stuff. It is just a kind of a, a wiring that God gives you to where you see people and you see circumstances and you see life differently according to your gift. You see life through the lenses of the spiritual gift that God gives you. Now, let me say that there is disagreement amongst theologians as to how many spiritual gifts the Bible gives us, you know, it talks about. 
there is disagreement as to whether or not all of the spiritual gifts are still in existence today. I'll cover some of that here in just a little bit and again in a few weeks. But there is some disagreement, but yet what we want to look at today is what the Bible seems to make very, very clear about the topic of spiritual gifts. So let's move on. Verse 2 and verse 3. He says, you know that when you were pagans, in other words, he says to the Corinthian Christians, he says, when you were living without Christ, before you placed your faith in Christ, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. In other words, they lived in a culture of idolatry, and uh, many of these Christians in Corinth had been, had been saved, they'd come to Christ out of a culture of idolatry. He says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is emphasizing there is that just as before Christ, we live under the control of another, the enemy, right? Once we place our faith in Christ, we then begin to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. And no person can genuinely, now anybody can say the words, but no person can genuinely, authentically claim to follow Jesus and demonstrate that through their life except by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Paul goes on to verse 4, and he begins to deal now more specifically with spiritual gifts. Verse 4 through verse 6. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So Paul mentions, number one, variety, but number two, he mentions gifts, ministries, and effects. So what is Paul talking about there? God gives us all a spiritual gift as believers, a very specific spiritual gift, but then he says also that that there are also ministries and effects that go along with those gifts. So what is he talking about? Well, let me me give you an example. Let's move to a, a list, one of the three lists, so to speak, in Scripture. Let's move to a list in Romans chapter 12, and let's look at some specific spiritual gifts, okay? So Romans chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. Just look with me on the overhead. Romans chapter 12. This is verse 6 through uh, verse 8. Paul writes here to the Romans, and he says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Again, these are grace gifts. You didn't earn it. God gave it by His grace. Each of us, then, is to exercise them, not just know about them, but actually use them accordingly. If your gift is prophecy, and I'll comment briefly here, we'll perhaps get into this more later, um, the gift of prophecy is not the gift to be able to see the future. I mean, you're not going to like make a bunch of money foretelling who's going to win the World Series in October. That's not what this is talking about. The gift of prophecy in a New Testament perspective is the gift, the ability to be able to determine black and white, one from the other. There's a, not a whole lot of gray. Have you ever had a person, a Christian, speak into your life very boldly? And it kind of came off somewhat blunt. And they basically just kind of laid out your life for you. And they told you, like, you need to do this and you need to put that down and quit doing that. That was maybe the person with the gift of prophecy. It's black and white, uh, not a whole lot of wiggle room. And they're very bold and they speak truth. And whenever you see the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, what that's talking about is the, the gift to be able to speak truth, to foretell, not foretell the future, but to foretell, to speak truth into another person's life. So he says, if your gift is the gift of prophecy, then use that gift according to the proportion of your faith. If it's service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. So what I would say there about that passage in Romans chapter 12 is that those are the seven primary motivational gifts. In fact, I would go so far as to say that every single Christian in this room this morning has one of those seven primary gifts that God has given you. I would also say that where Scripture speaks of other gifts, 
that they typically flow out of one of these seven gifts. And so here's the thing. In this room today, of all these Christians that are all up in here, there's a beautiful picture of all seven of those gifts that are, that are represented. You may already know what your gift is. You may be one of those that has just a real innate ability. You have these lenses through which you see, and life is black and white more than it is for anybody else. And you speak into people's lives in a way that benefits them and helps them in their walk with Christ. Maybe your gift is the gift of serving. And uh, you, know, you see needs before anybody else sees them, physical needs, literal needs. And, and you're the guy who is always recognizing, hey, my neighbor, they have a need, their yard needs to be cut. Or, you know, the, the, there's a person down the street, you know, they have a need that's come up and, and, uh, and I need to do something to meet that need. And you may be married to the guy who has the gift of service, right? And you're wondering, why don't you fix our own house? You're always cutting everybody else's grass. You're always helping everybody else in the church. You know, why don't you, why don't you help me here for a minute? You know, it may be because you're married to a person with the gift of serving. It goes on and he mentions the gift of teaching. That's the person who loves to gather information as it relates to Scripture and to then communicate that information. Very gifted, very good at doing that. Things make sense very easily for the person with this gift. Maybe your gift is exhortation. Um, some of you thought that said extortion. And you thought, wow, that's my gift. <laughs> I got that. Yeah, that's why I got such a good business, uh, extortion. Uh, it's not extortion, that's exhortation. That's encouragement, all right? So you, you, may have that per, you may be that person with that gift, and you just, you're able to encourage anybody. I mean, with, that has nothing, and they're going through the worst time, and it seems like God brings those people across your path. You just have the innate capacity to be able to encourage them. And that's the lenses through which you see people. You constantly are thinking, you know, that person needs encouragement. This person needs to be lifted up. This person's got a heart, and I need to try to come alongside of them. Maybe that's because that's your gift. The gift of giving. That's typically involving financial giving. These are the people who have this gift. They see financial needs before anybody else. And they're willing to go the extra mile to give, sometimes to their own detriment, to help meet those financial needs. They typically don't want anybody to know. They don't want their name in a bulletin. They don't want their name promoted or mentioned. They, in fact, sometimes they'll give anonymously because they see a financial need. They have the gift of giving. It's the lenses through which they see life. And they find great joy in giving financially to meet the needs of another person. There's the gift of leadership or administration. That's the capacity to organize and to pull things together, to see the vision way down the tracks before anybody else does, to build a team, to assemble them together, and to be able to motivate them and to see, ultimately, that vision accomplished. That's the gift of leadership. And then the gift of mercy. You know, for some of you, uh, for some of you, you may be married, again, to the person with the gift of mercy. And you're wondering, why are you always trying to save the world? Why are you always trying to come alongside and, uh, you know, and, and, and help hurt with those who hurt? Why don't you just take some time for yourself? And maybe because that person has the gift of mercy. And so these are examples of spiritual gifts that God gives. And so let's go back for a moment to our passage in 1 Corinthians. Now here's what Paul says. He says there are varieties of gifts. We've looked at a few there. He says there are varieties of ministries and varieties of effects. So what is he saying? Here's what I believe Paul is saying. And let's use an example. Let's say the, uh, the gift of, uh, of exhortation, the gift of encouragement. Say that's your spiritual gift. God is going to give you opportunities to use that gift. He's going to create ministries, so to speak. Some inside the church, some outside the church. And it's going to be your spiritual gift, for example, the gift of encouragement, exhortation, that God may give you an opportunity, let's say, for example, uh, a ministry that we partner with here in our church called MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers. You've got a lot of moms that are there that are uh, raising their families, young children, uh, a lot of demands, a lot of adjustments that come at that stage in life. Say you've got the gift of exhortation. 
and you feel like God is steering you towards this ministry called MOBS. That's an opportunity, an avenue through which you can exercise your gift. Say you come alongside of uh, a couple of moms there in that particular ministry, and uh, you're able to speak into their life because you have the gift of encouragement. You've been there, done that. You kind of know what they're thinking before they even can express it. And before long, what you begin to see are a variety of, of, a, a variety of effects that come out of that. You see a young mom that you build a relationship with that ultimately she finds hope where she didn't have hope before. You find a, a mom maybe who was beginning to, uh, you know, she was burning the candle at both ends. She wasn't creating time for herself. You're able to encourage her to try to find time for herself, to create opportunities for herself, to be able to rest and to be able to rejuvenate. And so you have this gift of encouragement. God opens a door, a ministry for you, and then he creates the effects that come out of that. And when you have a church full of people who have been given unique, special gifts, specific spiritual gifts that God has given by His grace, by virtue of them knowing Jesus. When you got a church full of people who have been gifted that way and they're exercising and using their gifts and God is opening doors and creating opportunities and those ministries are endless and God begins to work effects out of that because we can't change a person's heart, only God can. What He calls me to do is to use my gifting and to let Him accomplish the, the effects and the results. When you got a whole church doing that, man, things get really good really quick. You begin to see a lot of ministry begin to take place ultimately. And so Paul is saying it all comes from God. It's not from you. He says that there are gifts, there are ministries, and there are effects. But it's all the same God who works all things and all persons. Okay? Let's go on to the next verse, verse 7. This is one of the key verses in this whole passage, verse 7 and verse 11. He says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This verse answers the question, why does God give us spiritual gifts? And there are two reasons. One is because when we use our gifts, listen, as a Christian, when you use your gift, you can sit on it if you want to. You can do nothing about it, and it's going to be just like that Krispy Kreme card that goes unclaimed, right? You don't get to enjoy it. Nobody else gets to enjoy it with you. If you don't use your gift, you're completely frustrating the purpose for which God gave it to you. But when you exercise your spiritual gift, whether it's encouragement or leadership or serving or mercy, whatever it may be, when you use that gift, one thing that happens is that God gets put on display. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God. It's, a, it's an example. It's a display of God's Spirit. So that when you use your gift and God accomplishes really good effects through that, you don't get the attention. You don't get the glory for it, right? God gets put on display. Because you remember what you were like before you had those lenses. You remember when you were the cheapest person on the face of the earth and you wouldn't give a dime to anybody in need. And now, since you've accepted Christ, it seems like you're wanting to give to everybody who comes across your table and you find joy in doing that. That's not you, that's God. All right, so when you use the, your gift... God gets put on display, but then also it says for the common good. In other words, when we use our gift in the context of the local church, one another benefits. It's not just for ourselves. God did not give you your gift for you, just like your salvation. Yes, that's a part of it, but he gave you your gift and he saved you as well for the good of other people around you. And so verse 7 is helping us to understand that. In other words, when you, when you use your gift, it's as though you are responding as Jesus would if he were there in the midst of that circumstance. You see a need, someone has a physical need, you have the gift of serving, you step in, you serve, you meet the need, you don't care about credit, the need gets met, God gets glory, that person moves on, all the better for it. You've responded the way Jesus would have had Jesus stood in that circumstance. 
So when you use your spiritual gift, it's an act of worship. (laughs) It's a display back to God. It's a reflection of what he would do if he were standing physically at the front of that need as well. Let's go on to verse 8. Paul writes and he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom. He begins now to detail what some would say are additional spiritual gifts. I'll comment briefly on some of these as we move through. He says, For for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Word of knowledge, let's let's kind of deal with those out of order. Word of knowledge would be, uh, I think the best way to explain that would be the ability to, um, to understand things specifically as it relates to Scripture sometimes as it relates to circumstances, the ability to understand things at a level that not everyone can. The word of wisdom is the ability to speak wisdom as it applies that knowledge, if that makes sense. You may have had people at times that have spoken into your life, and it, it wasn't you know, some mystical, eerie kind of a thing. It's just as though they knew information you didn't know. <laughs> and uh, there was nothing magical about it. They just had this innate ability to see things and to understand things and to communicate things and to apply them with wisdom in a way that really benefited you. Some would say perhaps that's because of those specific gifts. Let's move on to the next verse, verse 9. He says, to another, the gift of faith by the same spirit. Obviously, the gift of faith, if you've ever met someone and they go through a very difficult time and you wonder and you even ask them, how do you make it through this? I mean, without your faith just crumbling, how do you do this? Possibly, many would say, it could be because they have the spiritual gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Let me just comment on this for just a moment. When you get to the gift of healing here, there are those who would say that this is one of the gifts that has ceased, that this gift specifically, and there are a few others that are listed in just a moment, some would say that the gift of healing was applicable in the first century in the New Testament era, but is no longer applicable today. That it was applicable because it authenticated the message of the gospel. But now that we have the Bible and it's complete, Old and New Testament, some would say the gift of healing is no longer, uh, no longer in practice today. Now, you may disagree with that. You may come out of a background uh, 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 denomination where you feel like the gift of healing is still in, in place, and that's okay. I mean, I'll give you that one. I, I feel that it has ceased. I don't feel like this gift is being practiced the way that it was in the New Testament. I don't believe that this spiritual gift specifically is still in place today because we have the New Testament to authenticate the gospel. Now, I will say this, that if you believe the gift of healing is still in existence today, it's not the way you see it through the likes of Benny Hinn on TBN. Does that make sense? That is not a demonstration of the gift of healing, even if you were to plop him down in the first century. That is not what that looks like. God does still heal. He heals at his own will. Paul himself left people sick. There's a place in Ephesians where he says, I left Trophimus, who was a companion of his. I left him sick in Miletus. Uh, Some would say that you're supposed to have the gift of healing. There is no evidence in the scripture of that at all. And what we see demonstrated today, much like speaking in tongues, we'll get to that in just a moment, that when we see the gift of healing demonstrated on the likes of cable television through people like Benny Hinn and a host of others, it is To me, it is an absolute counterfeit of what Scripture speaks of in regards to the gift of healing. My question is, if they genuinely had that gift, why are they selling tickets in an auditorium? Why are they not spending 15 hours a day in their local hospital? 
if it was that easy? That's a question. You may disagree, and that's okay. I've got email, and it's listed on the bulletin. Be glad to respond kindly and politely, and understand that you may perhaps hold to that truth. It is not a hill to die on. All I'm saying is, much like speaking in tongues, if you hold to that, it should not disrupt, and it should not confuse, and it should not bring disunity, lest it, did, lest it ultimately go against the whole reason that gift was given in the first place to promote unity and to, bring, to, to, to meet needs. So Paul mentions here, as he writes in the first century, gifts of healing by one spirit. Verse 10, he says, To another, the effecting of miracles. I also would um, consider this gift to be ceased. It was a gift in the first century, in my opinion, to authenticate the message of the gospel that was being proclaimed. And, uh, and I would consider this gift to be ceased if you feel different, differently. That's perfectly fine. It's not a hill to die on. He says, to another, the gift of prophecy that we've already touched base on. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. That's speaking of discernment. If you've ever met a person who has the uncanny, uncanny ability to discern right from wrong, truth from error, they can just slice it right down the middle. They can spot a deceiver. They can spot someone who is just mixing in a little truth with mostly error. Then perhaps they have this particular gift. He says to another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Again, I would uh, consider those last two, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues as being ceased today. Uh, Same thing. What you see often in the local church today is so outside the bounds of what we read of in scripture we'll deal with this more in chapter 14 because paul really camps there for a reason (laughs) we'll get to that when we get to chapter 14 but probably for you what your experience has been if you've had any experience at all with speaking in tongues in the local church today or seeing it on television probably what your experience is maybe not to a person because i'm not you and i'm not everywhere you go but i think it'd be safe to say that for most here your experience has been something that was really didn't seem to to accomplish much at all. It was speaking of gibberish and words that meant nothing. It was not any known language that was in existence. Here's the problem with that. When you see the, the topic of speaking in tongues in Scripture, there are three places in the book of Acts after Paul deals with it here, and he's correcting it, he's not speaking positively of speaking in tongues here in 1 Corinthians. After this, we don't read of it anywhere. There's no evidence that Jesus ever did it, any disciples ever did it. But whenever it speaks of speaking in tongues in the book of Acts, what is happening is always a language that was in existence is being communicated. So that when you're in Acts chapter 2, for example, and it's Pentecost, and you've got people in Jerusalem from a variety of backgrounds, variety of, of settings, variety of cultures, and speaking in tongues takes place. It's not gibberish. It's not nonsense words. What they were doing was they were speaking the gospel, and Acts 2 bears this out very clearly. You can read, that, read it in there. That what they were speaking was languages that existed so that the people in Jerusalem on that occasion could hear the gospel in their own language and place their faith in Jesus. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever see a display of speaking in tongues as it most often is done today, where it's gibberish, usually there's no one there even to interpret it, which is a huge issue even if you hold to it. There, it's words that are nonsense, they make no, make no sense, people make fun of it, lost people go away thinking, what in the world is going on with that? It, it's just not what you see in Scripture. So if you hold that, well, Brooks, I completely disagree, I believe that speaking in tongues is still biblical today, I disagree, I believe they've ceased, it's not a hill to die on, if you believe that it's still to be practiced, just don't let it bring disunity, don't let it bring confusion, and don't let it be in your own strength and power, okay? So that's how Scripture deals with it. Paul will deal with this a lot more in chapter 14. And again, when we get there, we'll spend some time explaining why Paul is dealing with the topic of speaking in tongues 
and will deal with the misuse that was taking place there that he had to correct there. He was not encouraging to them in Corinth when he dealt with that topic in chapter 14. He had a lot to say to correct a lot of misuse. Okay, so let's go on to verse 11. <clears throat> now that I've given warm fuzzies to most everyone in here now. All right, verse 11. He says, but one of the same Spirit works all these things. Again, the gifts that God gives us are from the Spirit of God. He distributes to each one individually just as He wills. It is God's call as to what your spiritual gift is. God is the one who determines. This is a, another key verse, verse 7 and verse 11. These are very important verses to understanding the whole concept of spiritual gifts. That God gives them, He decides it, He gives them individually to the believer, and they're an act of grace. So what's the summary of all this? What's the principle? What's the takeaway? I hope you'll jot this down because I think this summary will, will, will pull it all together. And the summary is this, that God's spiritual gifts ultimately are from Him. They come from Him. They, they're not generated by us. They come from Him. They're given ultimately to the believer, every believer, every Christian. And they're given for a couple of reasons. One is for God's glory and the other is for the good of others. We don't sit on our gifts. We don't, we don't take pride in our gifts. We uh, understand where they came from, and yet we exercise them and we use them for the ultimate good of those around us within the body of Christ, and ultimately as well for God's glory. So that when people see you using your gift, others benefit and God gets the credit for it. That's the, the scriptural perspective of spiritual gifts. Now let me just give you a few things to keep in mind, just a few implications these aren't on the overhead. You can jot them down or you can just remember them. But uh, some things we have to keep in mind. Number one, whenever you use your spiritual gift, always use your gift in his strength and not your own. All right. Say if you have the gift of, uh, of leadership, you have the capacity to see the long range, the big picture, the vision, you can assemble people, you're great at organizing. You know, that's just kind of how you are. You're gifted with administration, leadership. You can try to lead in your own strength if you want, but I'm telling you, it will be a grease fire and a train wreck all rolled into one. Because what happens is, if you lead and you use that gift in your own strength, where you may arrive is not the destination God charted out for you. All right, so you've got to lead. You've got to use your gift, regardless of what it may be, in His strength and not your own. What this world does not see, need to see is another display of man's talents. What this world needs to see is a display of the grace of God. And God gave us His gifts so that we can display them to those around us and that people can see him at work in the lives of other people so use your gifts in his strength not your own also i would say add to that use your gifts to glorify him and not yourself now gifts are different from talents all right there's no spiritual gift of piano playing all right the, the, the gifts are different from talents but there is still an opportunity that as you use your gift for you to get credit Right? If you serve and you help somebody, oh, you're just such a great person. You always think about others. You're just always there to meet needs. And, oh, there's no, nobody like you, and we'd all die if you weren't here. Right? And you can pat yourself on the back and break your arm doing so. You can get the big head. You can't fit out the door. God didn't give you the gift for your glory. He gave you the gift for his own glory. Number three, I would say to use your gift to engage with others. He didn't give it to you for you ultimately to use, again, for yourself. Use it to engage with others in the body of Christ. That is the picture of Scripture. Christians using gifts to benefit Christians. The lost looking in from the outside saying, I want some of that. Validating, authenticating God, meeting needs at the same time. Number four, I'd say not having a spiritual gift is no excuse for not serving. You can't throw this one out there. I know what you're thinking. That's why I said this. You can't say, hey, I don't have that gift, so I, I'm not obligated. 
Try that at home. Try, try, try this one. Try this one with your mom and dad. Try this with your husband and wife. Try this with your roommate. Try this one. I don't have the gift of taking out trash. Just try it. Let me know how it goes, all right? <laughs> I'd be really curious on hearing how that turns out for you. No, not having a gift. And again, I understand we laugh, but this is a real possibility because you're going to be, ministry is messy. I'm telling you, people had to get messy to reach us People had to get involved in our lives and all the junk. They had to be invested in us for us to come to Christ. And when we, come to, we seek to invest in our, our lives and other people, it gets messy and it gets time-consuming and it gets costly and we get dirty. And when you're standing right there in front of a mess in a person's life and you're, God is compelling you to use your gift to speak into their life, to serve them, to help them, to minister to them, to meet their need, and you're standing at the edge, here's going to be the temptation and when, when, where the rubber hits the road. You're going to take an inventory that's going to cost me my time, my, uh, my, my money. This is going to cost me a lot of sweat and tears. Uh, you know what? This isn't even my gift anyway. Maybe somebody else can help them. It's not an excuse. Saying we don't have that gift is not an excuse to not represent Christ. So we have to be mindful of that as a possibility. We have to be ready to answer the call as God leads, whether we're gifted or not in that area. But isn't it phenomenal, man, that God puts together a group of people with a commonality of faith in Christ. He calls us a church, and he gifts us uniquely and specifically across the board to care for one another, to put him on display. What an amazing concept that is. And when a church gets that right, when a church gets that right, I'm just saying, ministry takes off. And people clamor to be a part of that fellowship. And people who don't know Jesus want to suddenly hear about him because of the difference that they see he's made in other people's lives. So Paul goes on later in this chapter, and we'll get there soon, and he helps us to see a great analogy of the body of Christ and how it functions with its giftings just like a human body. He explains that so well. But let's just close out with these next few verses. We'll get to that passage later, but let's just close out with these last few verses, verses 12 through, uh, through 14. He says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit, for the body is not one member but many. What a great analogy that Paul uses here where he says, you know what, your body is composed of a variety of parts and yet it's one body and so we are in Jesus. We are individual people. All of us come together collectively to be one body under one God. And as we use our gifts, we're able to minister to one another. We're able to glorify him. So the question, the takeaway I think is this. If you, if you are a believer and you know what your spiritual gift is, Begin looking for opportunities. Look for those areas of ministry in the church, outside the church, to use your gift, to put Christ on display, to meet needs of other believers. Look for ways to put your gift into action. Pray for God to provide opportunities. Pray for God to strip away the blinders because we, so, we get so distracted, don't we, to where we miss the opportunities God brings right across our path to use the gifts he's given us to benefit others. So just pray. If you know what your gift is, just pray. God, give me opportunities and give me the sense to know where they are when they come. And if you don't know your gift, if you've, if you've given your life to Christ, but you don't know what your gift is, just begin to take inventory. You know, how do I tend to look at life? How do I look at needs in people's lives? How do I tend to look at people? Oh, and God, could you, could you help me to understand how you have uniquely gifted me? You may just want to pray that. 
Help me to understand how you have gifted me and then give me the strength to use my gift for others' good and for your glory. And if you've never trusted Christ, you've never given your life to Him, understand that the greatest gift that stands ready to be given to you by His grace is salvation. That Jesus died in your place and He, took, he stands ready having, having paid everything that was needed to forgive you, to wipe the slate clean, and to take over. If you're willing to lay down your sin, invite him in, and to follow him. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. The gift of salvation by his grace, ready to be given if you'll only accept it through repentance and faith. You know, Paul spends a lot of time dealing with spiritual gifts. Why? Not just because of the misuses in Corinth but because of the amazing opportunity that stands for every body of, of believers if we just use what God has given to make his name great and to draw people closer to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it speaks of this topic of spiritual gifts. You know, you look across Christianity today, and Lord, we understand that whole different denominations exist to some degree because of different perspectives about certain spiritual gifts. Lord, they're not a hill to die on that should bring disunity. They shouldn't bring discord or confusion or disruption. Lord, there's no place for those things. But Lord, really I think the hill to die on is the understanding that you give us these gifts for us to use to meet the needs of one another and to ultimately glorify you. Lord, your word is very clear about that. And so God, really scattered all around this room, our variety of gifts that have been given, planted in the hearts of people who've given their lives to Jesus. And Lord, many of the needs that we face on a daily basis, I believe that you desire to meet those needs through other believers that see them and that use their gifts to help meet those needs. God, you're the one that gets the glory. You know, if we're great at serving or, or great at leading or great at encouraging regardless, Lord, it's really not us. It's you doing that through us. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to understand how you've uniquely crafted us, what those new lenses are through which we see people and circumstances in life. Lord, that we use our gift to put you on display and that when good things come, Lord, that you get the honor for that. God, for those that have never trusted Christ today, I pray that that right where they sit this morning, that they would understand that Jesus is God, and that he died and that he rose so that their sins could be forgiven. And as they turn from that sin, place their faith in Jesus today, Lord, that you'll hear that prayer, that Christ will come and he'll forgive and he'll take over. And Lord, that they'll begin to know you in a way that you desire, that they'll know life and joy and hope and peace and, and ultimately eternal life through the surrender of their life to Christ. And so whatever decisions we need to make today, God, help us to make them, help us to get it right. Help us to follow where you lead. And we thank you for what you'll do through this time. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.